Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance. Happy New Year, everyone. We are live at Rogers Arena from the Kintech Studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Ian Mendez from The Athletic. Uh, covering the Ottawa Senators is going to join us here. Do we have Ian on the line yet? We do. All right, great. So we welcome <laughs> him right now. Here he is, Ian Mendez, uh, as mentioned, from The Athletic, covering the Ottawa Senators, joining the show. Ian, thanks for doing this. Happy New Year. How are you? Yeah, Happy New Year to you guys as well. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's our pleasure. Always fun to chat with you. And look, lots going on. Not only are the Senators <laughs> playing the Canucks right now, but it's been a, a pretty busy, pretty eventful few weeks here for the Ottawa Senators organization. Let's start with the, the most recent changes or, or I, I guess, you know, additions, but also just uh, officially making Steve Steos the top guy in hockey operations in the organization. What do those changes mean in your minds? What do they signal about the future of the Senators? Well, it Listen, it was certainly an atypical time for an announcement, and I'm not saying that as a you know reporter who's grumbling about having to work on New Year's Eve. But <laughs> it, they they put the press release out on New Year's Eve and announced the 4 p.m. press conference on New Year's Eve, uh, which fell on a Sunday. Which you know the timing of it was a little weird, I guess, from that perspective. But I think the the kind of the message I got from that press conference and kind of what they want is now they've got their management in place. This is go time for them. It's, it's, it's it, the official start, I guess, of the Michael Landlauer era. And, and you know, he, he mentioned, guys, and he's the owner, that he had owned the team for 100 days when he made that announcement. But really, in his defense, you know, he had a general manager that he inherited. He had a head coach that he inherited. Well, now all the decks have sort of been cleared, and now he's – had an opportunity to put his people in place. And in his mind, Steve Steos was the right fit, the logical fit to be the general manager. Uh, but he wanted a second voice. He wanted somebody with uh, some experience. And, 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 and I think uh, Dave Poulin fit, fit the bill. And so this is it. This is, to me, this is the signaling of it's go time to kind of go ahead and make moves. Because everything in the first 100 days of his ownership with Andlauer Everything was, there was always the caveat of, well, it's not really, you know, his team, the GM's not in place and, and everything's temporary. Those excuses are out the window. And now I think they can really start to fine tune uh, this roster and, and, and shape up the coaching staff the way that they see fit. What's the impact on this do you expect, Ian, in terms of how aggressive this team may be between now and the deadline? Yeah, I, like I think it's important. Here's why I think that, you know, it, it, again, it might have seemed a bit rushed that they were doing this, kind of shoehorning it in on December the 31st. But, but I do think that they have some big decisions to make here. And, mm. and the biggest one that they have between now and the trade deadline is, is, is Vladimir Tarasenko. And he's a guy that they signed to a one-year deal. Do you see him as the, a, a piece of the puzzle moving forward or not? Uh, Dominic Kubalik is another guy they got for Alan Dabrinkit. Do you see him part of this or not? Because I think when they didn't have a general manager, and, and technically Steos was like the interim general manager, the feeling was, well, you know, who's going to be making? These are big decisions, and, and, and they got to sign Shane Pinto, and they've got to do all these things. Who's making the call? And so I think by putting 
Steos and, and, and Poulin in place now, it allows them to absolutely be in full control heading into the deadline. And, and I think we can sit here with some degree of certainty and say they're going to be a seller. Like, I, I don't see save one of those, you know, a few years ago they had a, you know, Andrew Hammond came in and they had a Hamburglar run and they made this sort of, uh, you know, ridiculous march to the playoffs that was unexpected. Short of that, they're going to be picking in the top seven or eight or nine or whatever. They're going to be a lottery team. So it's, it's time to start looking and thinking that way. And the trade deadline is going to sneak up on us here. It's basically, uh, you know, it's, it's not that far away to get to that first week of March. So they got to start uh, getting all of their, 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 their ducks in a row, so to speak. And like I said, Tarasenko is the big one for me. So, you know, as you say, look, they're probably going to be a lottery team. The odds are pretty overwhelming in that respect. And, you know, if the organization has kind of accepted that and is willing to be sellers at the deadline and, you know, they're focusing more on the future, what does that mean for the rest of the of the games they're playing? What's the what's going to be the focus? And I know they've already made the coaching chains and, and Jacques Martin is there uh, on an interim basis. And, you know, thinking back to the Canucks last year, they made the coaching change and brought in Rick Tockett for the purpose of, okay, hey, we want to get his system in place and, you know, start instilling certain values in the players so we can hit the ground running next year. And it's worked out really well so far for the Canucks. Is there a similar dynamic in, in Ottawa? Or, like, what are they hoping to get out of these remaining games in the season. Yeah, it's a, and it's a great comparison, isn't it, to the Vancouver Canucks? Because you go back to a year ago, around this time, I don't think anybody thought that the Vancouver Canucks would be sitting where they are here in January of 2024. Like, it was mm. feeling like it was off the rails, and it wasn't quite, you know, you, you didn't know. It was a blow it up, whatever it is. Um, that's how they're kind of feeling in Ottawa right now, is that, you know, maybe you can look at a team like Vancouver and say, you know, they kind of used the back half of last season to make sure that the fundamentals and the, and the structure and the mindset was where it needed to be for September, October, where the Canucks obviously hit the ground running this season. The problem is that's kind of how we've treated the last few years in Ottawa, where <laughs> the, the, the team has struggled out of the gates. And then in January, February, they inevitably pick it up. And they play really well, and everyone says, well, look at this. They're building, and it was a positive end of the season, and here we go. And there's been a bunch of false starts. So the, the interesting thing is in kind of, you know, to answer your question of what's the, what's the objective here. Uh, look, Jacques Martin is 71 years old. I don't think he's interested in being the coach of this team in October. Like, if I had to guess, he's come in here almost as a favor to help settle things down, to help maybe – shift the mindset, maybe try to get some structure and a different, you know, philosophy implemented. But he, I don't think it's going to be like a talk situation where he's the guy in, in October. So right. what you want in these last three, four months of the season is you want Jacques Martin implementing some structure, some stability, some, some things, some lay the foundation for whoever takes over as coach, that that coach is going to come in and those are basically going to be the same ideals that the coach that's coming in takes over. And you want to use these last three months of your uh, Dave Poulin and your Steve Steos and your associate general manager, Ryan Bonus, whoever else, Daniel Alfredson, I think he's going to be involved in some way, shape or form. He's an assistant coach now, but he's obviously going to you know, have a voice here moving mm-hmm. forward. You need to identify the guys on this team that you absolutely believe are the core. And this is now seven years of missing the playoffs in a row. Something's got to give. Uh, something has to change. And, you know, you can't just keep running it back with the same group 
expecting different results. So I, I think it's going to be an interesting three months, and, and I wouldn't be shocked if they trade somebody that maybe right now you wouldn't think is, is you know, in play to be traded. I'm not talking about like a Tim Stutzler or a Kachuk or a Sanderson. I think those three are about as untouchable as you can get. But you know, beyond that, I don't know if there's any true untouchables on this team, and if they really want to, you know, shake up this core and, the, and and send a message that the last you know few years have been unacceptable. It wouldn't shock me if they if they tried to do something to make this a better or a different looking hockey team. You know, Ian, you mentioned there Jacques Martin and with his age and you know obviously wearing the interim label, probably not going to be the coach in October. And I wanted to ask you about that. You mentioned Daniel Alvertson as well as an assistant. Is that too quick a timeline for him to take on the head coach job? What do you think the transition looks like, and what kind of candidate uh, are they going to be looking for to take over behind the bench in Ottawa eventually? Yeah, it's, it's such a good question, right? Because um, it's it's something that we always figured, well, we would just let the new general manager take over, and meanwhile the new general manager was there the whole time <laughs> in, in Steve Stales. So, you know, the, the names that you hear, the, the obvious, you know, Craig Berube, for example, is mm. a guy that played with Dave Poulin mm. in Philly. I believe they also played together in Washington. Uh, there's obviously a familiarity there. People start to think, okay, well, is Craig Berube the type of guy that could fit uh, in Ottawa and kind of get this group to, to change the way they play? Uh, John Gruden, not the old Raiders uh, head coach, John Gruden. John <laughs> Gruden, the hockey player, uh, yeah. is the coach of the Marlies in Toronto. And he's got a ton of familiarity with and Michael Landlauer from their time together in the OHL with the Hamilton Bulldogs. Is he a candidate? That's certainly a name you're going to hear brought up. But, boy, that would be a tough – like, to me, if you're going to have a rookie general manager in Steve Steos and a rookie head coach in John Gruden, that's a lot of – like, I mean, again, you've got Dave Poole in there. Maybe you've got Alfreds in there in, in, in whatever capacity you use him for. Uh, but, boy, that's – that's a that's a really that's going to be challenging in in some ways if you don't have some some experience or some uh, you know like a like a strong voice to help guide uh, some things when when the waters get rough. So you know in terms of Albertson, you know it's funny because he kind of came in at the beginning of the year and he was like, well, I'll just kind of be a whatever, and he was kind of doing a little bit of coaching, a little bit of work kind of with the front office, and then they're like, hey, we need you. It's almost like they put up a bat signal and they said, hey, like we really need you behind the bench. So now he's behind the bench and he's open to a lot of things. And I don't think he's closed the door completely on the idea of maybe being the head coach, but I think maybe these, these final 40 ish, 50 games will give him an idea of, is this what I want to do? Am I willing to work 17 hour days? Am I willing to gr- the gruel, the grind? It's uh, you guys know, it's, it's not easy being a professional head coach. They are literally, you have to roll into the office at, you know, four thirty-five in the morning, uh, and and you don't leave often until till after midnight, and um, it's a grind. And and I and I don't know that he he wants that necessarily, but maybe he'll he'll learn to love it in these three months and think, boy, that is something I want to do. And, and you just got to look at Marty St. Louis in, in Montreal. Like like you don't necessarily have to come in with this deep resume of being, uh, you know, a head coach at all these levels or a coach at in different places. You can sometimes, if you're a very smart tactician and a good motivator, which obviously I think San Luis is, I think Alfredson's cut from the same cloth. They had to work for everything. They weren't high draft picks, but they're both Hall of Famers. Um, I could see it, but I think we're going to get a better handle on that maybe in, in, in March or April. Moving from the boardroom to the ice sheet, Ian, 
Senators goaltending. Just tell us about Senators goaltending. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, where crazy. where do we want to start? Like like it it's unbelievable how this thing has been a game of musical goalies. So Craig Anderson was the like the undisputed number one goalie in this market for almost a decade, which is mm-hmm. pretty tough to do in a Canadian market, as you guys know. Like like there even with you think of Luongo, like mm-hmm. there are ups and downs. Like there there is it's very hard to be a goalie for eight, nine, ten years in Canada and come out of it on the other side where, you know, you're universally loved. You're going to end up with your detractors. But Craig Anderson, for the most part... He's the nicest guy in the world, though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> it does. And if you're a good guy and you're fun with the media, whatever, you poke yeah. fun of yourself, you can, you can gain a lot of, uh, uh, you know, extra slack. Leeway, but, yeah. So Anderson <laughs> was the guy here for a decade, and nobody... We would roll into training camp in September, and we wouldn't even think twice. It's like Craig Anderson's the guy. Well... Since he left, it has been every year there's been a different guy that's played the most games in goal for Ottawa. Like, you know, there was Matt Murray. Uh, there was Philip Gustafson. There was Cam Talbot. There's been Anton Forsberg. Uh, you know, it's funny. Joey Decord had the shutout in the in Winter Classic <laughs> uh, last night. Guess who he, he started with? It was Ottawa. Yeah. And, and you look around the league, and this is what's really frustrating. Cam Talbot's having a Vesna caliber season for, for L.A., uh, you know, Gustafson had a Vezina caliber season <laughs> last year for Minnesota. Uh, Joey DeCourt's pitching shutouts at T-Mobile. Like, it's, it's wild. Like, and Ottawa can't get it figured out. And they give Corpusalo a five-year deal. And, and he hasn't been a tr- – like, he's not in the, like, the Jack Campbell, era, you know, stratosphere where you're like, oh, my God, this is an unmitigated disaster. Like, he hasn't been that bad, but he just, he's just kind of been there. He's just been okay. I and mean, he would tell you. He's just been okay. Same with Anton Forsberg. So I think, like, the way it's going to likely play out tonight is Forsberg's going to play tonight against Vancouver, and he's coming off a 45-save win the other night against Buffalo. And if he wins, he'll play on Thursday against Seattle. If he loses, they'll go back to Corpus Allo. They, they just don't have a guy. Like, they're basically asking one of these guys to seize the net. Take it. It's yours. It's an open competition right now in Ottawa. Even though Corpus Allo's got a five-year deal – um, that's a wide open job right now in the here and now. So it'll, it'll be interesting. Forsberg was really good, uh, on Saturday or Sunday against uh, Buffalo, but it's not like he's got a, a firm grasp on that job by any stretch. So really the key to getting above average goaltending in the NHL without spending a lot of money is to target former Sens starters. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, it, it's unbelievable. It honestly reminds me the Canucks had this run Ian, honestly, you might have still been in market. They had this run post-Kirk McLean, right, where it was like, bring in Sean Burke, give up on Sean Burke. Sean Burke plays Vezina quality hockey for Arizona. Give up on Artis Urbe, right? And Artis Urbe crushes it while the Canucks are, you know, ha- have Dan Cluche uh, sort of getting blamed for everything in this market. Um, that, that's honestly what it reminds me of. Like, it's sometimes difficult, especially if you don't ever give any of these guys a chance to regress. Yeah, exactly. I, well, Garth Snow was folded in there too, wasn't he? At one point, in Vancouver? oh yeah, like, yep. like it, it was crazy. Like, 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 and that's what Ottawa is right now. It's like late '90s Canucks carousel of you're just trying to find the guy that it'll work, and 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 you're hoping. But boy, like when you give a five year contract to a guy like they did with Corpusello, like you're really saying like you're going to be our guy, and like and here we are, like I said, in January. 
Mm. He doesn't have a – he's not the number one guy undisputed. It is an absolute tandem right now. I think Ottawa's won 14 games this season, and Forsberg's won seven, and Corpusalo's won seven. Like, like, and, and Corpusalo's actually played a few more games. So it's, it's really weird. Like, it, 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 it's the strangest thing. I think it's just super vexing. Like I said, when you look around, you see everybody else – going out and playing well, then you start to question, though, is it the system, right? Is it, is it something in Ottawa's system that, like, Ken Talbot was great in Minnesota before coming to Ottawa, had one clunker of a year in Ottawa, then went to L.A. and he's good again. Like, is that, is that a sign of, of something was wrong with the system? I, I don't know, but, boy, there's been a lot of guys that have gone on to enjoy some success you know, after after leaving the Senators. And, you know, in terms of what the goalies are facing, you know, the, the system in front of them or just at least the environment in front of them, and this is, again, similarities with Vancouver over the last few years, right, where there's plenty of talent on the roster, but you could also see that they were putting a lot of pressure on their goalies, and, you know, fortunately at various times, Thatcher Demko was able to to handle a lot of that pressure, and there was a, often a debate here, right? Well, do they do they just lack the players to play sound defensively, or is it more uh, of a system and a tactical and a coaching issue? And, you know, Rick Tockett has got them playing a lot better. They've also brought in some really good defensive players on top of that, so they've kind of addressed both issues at once coming into this season, but how do you see it in, in Ottawa, right? The persistent defensive issues that translate into goaltending issues is it system or is it is it personnel in ottawa as well well i think we're going to know the answer by the end of the year because you know you're bringing in jacques martin who right uh, again he's he's 71 but boy jacques martin if he's known for anything uh in his time in the nhl it's for creating airtight very reliable defensive systems he did it with ottawa in the early 2000s remember he was the he was the head coach in, in montreal when they mm-hmm. made that kind of miraculous uh, run with Yarrow Halak in 2010. Uh, it was him. And then he was part of Mike Sullivan. Mike Sullivan will tell you unequivocally that Jacques Martin had a huge impact on the Penguins winning two Stanley Cups in, in 16 and 17 because Jacques was running the D. He was helping out with uh, the systems and all that stuff. So, like, he, if, if you come out at the end of this season and Jacques Martin can't fix your problems, then I think we can realistically look at this and say, yeah, I think we really need to look at the personnel here because, like, like you, you can't go through so many goalies and so many now it would be multiple coaches and different things and just come back with the same results. Like, you got to change yeah. something up. But they've had health issues. Like, Thomas Shabbat's back. You'll see him tonight. Uh, they, they just haven't had, for the most part, a super healthy lineup where everybody's in for 10, 15, 20 games to get a real sense of what they are. And maybe that's what we'll get in, in, in the month of January and February is the ability to see can they play a more sort of airtight defensive system. And if they can't, I, I just don't see how you point the finger at Jacques Martin at that point, I guess would be my point. Yeah, I feel like he's pretty good at coaching defense. <laughs> if there's yeah. one thing we know about Jacques Martin. And six set breakouts. Jacques <laughs> Martin teams always have a plan on the breakout. I love watching him play. Uh, Ian, really appreciate the time. As always, thanks for doing this. Enjoy the game tonight. We'll chat soon. Yeah, you got it, guys. Have a good one. That Thanks, is, Ma- Thanks that, Ian. That is Ian Mendez uh, covering the Ottawa Senators from The Athletic. By the way. And as we have to say every time Ian comes on, remember, Ian Mendez, although he's, you know, evil Ontario Eastern media, originally a Vancouver guy. Uh, Ian, one of my all-time uh, favorite guests, to be perfectly honest. Just a great radio guest because he used to work in radio. Yeah, he's the best. So it's like, great. Yeah, he knows he knows what's going on. He, he's, he's, also, awesome. he's also just such a good time. Um, like, just like a good guy. By the way. 
in, in live hockey currently underway. Team Sweden, a.k.a. the Junior Canucks at the World Juniors, Getting uh, a scare. Have given up a 2-0 lead, are now tied with Switzerland, under three minutes to play in the quarterfinals in Sweden. Of course, Canada went out earlier today to Czechia, and I know I, I talked to one friend at least over the break who said he was actually cheering for Sweden against Canada because of the Canucks uh, players on Team Sweden. So if Sweden goes out, that's going to be a lot of people oh. here in Vancouver with no rooting interest left uh, at this tournament. It's still tied. Uh, with two and a half minutes to play against the Swiss yeah, over I mean, in Sweden, for for like Sweden's controlled this game for the most part. Although, you know, at, at about the midway point of the second, Team Switzerland sort of got it together and started pressuring Sweden in a way that you could tell was kind of working for them. Um, one thing I'd note, like Jonathan Lekaramaki has a goal, so Canucks prospect mm-hmm. Jonathan Lekaramaki has scored, um, and to my eyes, has played really well in his classic like shoot with no conscience have a sick release overpower um your opponent's type game like that has played in this contest from from what we've been watching uh tom Valanders looked awesome by the way like this has been probably my favorite game that i've seen him play in this tournament uh elias Pettersson has played well he was on the ice for one of the goals against mm-hmm. um but he wasn't out of position it was just like a bang bang play off sort of um, a block shot uh, for Team Sweden, as Team Sweden goes on a late power play. So, yeah, uh, Canucks prospects showing well, regardless of how this one turns out. And, of course, Sweden and LeCaramacchi are going to get a chance to ice it with uh, a minute 50 to play. Big spot for LeCaramacchi. power play. Because he's dangerous. His shot is uh, super fun to watch. And I think the thing about LeCaramacchi, and you alluding to it, is he knows where his bread is buttered. Yeah. He knows what he's like he knows who he is as a player and what his strengths are and he is look once he gets into position and he has a little bit of open time, he is unloading that shot and it's a good play. We'll talk to Books more about it tomorrow, right? Yeah. Because we've got Jason Bukel on. He'll he'll be Yeah. I mean he, I, he might be there, frankly. Uh, but he'll have great takes on on all of this. The the LeCaramacchi thing, the one thing that I'll say like has caused me to get a little bit annoyed is um You? I see, no. I see a lot of no. like, I see a lot of praise for like nuance in his game and stuff and like what I love about LeCaramacchi is it's just like all athleticism and an overpowering release which he shoots with zero conscience and like that's cool. That's good. Like we don't have to yeah. overthink shooter, what's cool shooter, about this shoot, guy. Shooter, shoot, man. We don't have to think what's over. We don't have to overthink or like make up what's cool about Lakaramaki. What's cool about Lakaramaki is he knows exactly who he is and he goes about playing like it, and it's fun as anything. Uh, okay, hey, it is Scotiabank Hockey Day in Canada, January seventeenth to the twentieth. So really, multiple days, hockey days in Canada, January seventeenth to the twentieth in Victoria, BC. Thirty-two thoughts which, as you might have heard, our very own producer, Dom Shermati, also produces that show. It'll be recording a live show at... Name drop. <laughs> at, wow. At Wicked Hall wow. in downtown Victoria. You know Dom Shermati? <laughs> Thursday, January 18th. That's the, uh, the the number one question I get, really, when I tell people I work at Sportsnet. <laughs> Do you know Dom? Uh, the show starts at 2. Expected to join. Expected to join Jeff and Elliot, uh, former Canucks Kevin Bieksa, and Brian Burke, as well as some other... NHL alumni. The Stanley Cup will be there as well. So this is a live taping January the 18th of 32 Thoughts in downtown Victoria uh, for Scotiabank Hockey Day in Canada. If you'd like a free pair of tickets, well, guess what? You're in luck because we're giving away a pair. We're giving away a pair every day this week. Here's how you can win. 604-280-0650. Call that number now. 604-280-0650. Be caller 32. 
Get it? Because it's 32 thoughts. So there you go. Caller 32. 604-280-0650 for your chance to win a pair of tickets to the 32 Thoughts live show uh, January 18th in Victoria. Producer Dom will answer the phone and award the tickets. And we're giving away a pair every day this week. More Canucks talk coming up. Uh, We will hear from Canucks head coach Rick Tockett in the next segment here on Sportsnet 650. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People's Show with Bick Nizar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Two Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650, Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are live from the Kintec studio here at Rogers Arena. Kintec, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet? What are you waiting for? 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Congratulations to Ross. You and a friend will be attending the 32 Thoughts live show at the Wicket Hall in Victoria on Thursday, January 18th. And for everyone who tried to get those tickets called in, didn't get them, don't worry. Tune into Canucks Talk every day this week for your chance to win a pair to see Jeff and Elliot and friends in Victoria. We're giving away 32 tickets. (laughs) Not quite. We should (laughs) have. <laughs> Just tie everything to 32. They're like Sidney Crosby, where it's like, my contract has to end in 8 7. It's like, why don't you just make more money? Like, no! <laughs> like, maybe you're too obsessed with that number, Sid. <laughs> Not everything has to be about that. Uh, by the way, World Juniors update 2 uh, 2 going to overtime between Sweden and Switzerland. Le- Late Car- power play, man. Le- he, Le- had his, with, he had his looks. Lakaramaki with three shots in the last minute and 50 seconds. Uh, two of them really dangerous. One he maybe would want back, I would say. I would say the one with four seconds left he maybe yeah, would want back. Yeah, he, uh, he duffed that one a little bit from you know a bit of a sharp angle, but in close still. Yeah. Good, good opportunity, but didn't didn't come off his stick how he wanted it to. Yeah, I, I mean, I think he was shooting five-hole. Like, I think he was, like, f- trying to fake the big release and get yeah. the goalie cheating up high. And then, so, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't think it was as bad a look as it looked. You know what I mean? Like, I think mm. it was maybe a smarter play than – then it looked. It was one of those that looks genius if you if it works, right, and, right. and maybe a little silly if it doesn't. But uh, four on four overtime getting going, or sorry, four on three because uh, Switzerland, seconds. yeah, is still killing a penalty to start. But then it'll be four on four, and hey, we'll see what Lacaramaki can do. A lot of space out there, four on four uh, over in Sweden. So I mean, he had his looks. He's been. You said, I think you said he had nine shots on goal yeah. in this game. Like Sweden, well, he had six going into that power okay, play. Okay, and, and he we, definitely yeah. had three. So. And like Sweden only has thirty-two. That's like a big, big Shit, chunk. A huge. Uh, Huge market share. Of the offense that he's driving for Sweden. I mean, honestly, this guy has Mikhail Samuelson conscience. Like, just none of it. Just (laughs) shoots from everywhere. And by the way, like, there's there's a benefit to being like that. All right. There's so many different things. We have kind of an open segment here. There's so many. I want to play Rick Tockett, but we can talk about something else first. Okay, well. Or do we want to do Tockett first? I want to do a thing I was thinking about. We All were right. like, we were watching favorite skits with my family over the okay, holidays. Like, sure. just like, you know, I would throw on the, like, Johnny Cash skit from um, I Think You Should Leave. Okay. And, oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the my, skeletons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my dad threw on um, the, the classic uh, Blue Oyster Cult SNL. Yes, yes. 
and and I've been thinking about it more and more because I'm watching the Canucks work on Power Play One and seeing how it struggled, and you know we're we're probably going to see the Canucks ice a, t- a top six that has Kuzmenko on the top line despite his significant stru- struggles this season, and Phil DiGiuseppe on the second line, which I think we all know is a, a tough mm-hmm. uh, spot for him um, with Hoaglander drawing out, and you know in the spirit of Christopher Walken's legendary producer in the Blue Oyster Cult sketch, right? Who keeps calling for more cowbell. The only answer is more cowbell to Don't Fear the Reaper. If you're having top six problems, or power play problems, I feel bad for you, son. But... Wait. Now we're talking about a different song. Sorry, sorry. I just... (laughs) We're we're mixing metaphors here. My bad. Mixing song metaphors. (laughs) No. The answer is more Garland. Garland is the cowbell. Mm -hmm. The, The Canucks cowbell is Garland, right? Like... This third line over the last 10 games has outscored outscored their opponents by 10 at 5-on-5. Like, everything they're touching is in the back of the net. No one can score on them. They are driving play the way you'd like to see Vancouver's top six drive play. And, you know, I'm I'm convinced and have been convinced for a long time, and this is no secret to, um, to our listeners. Like, I'm convinced that Garland's the straw that stirs that particular drink. If you're having problems controlling play at the top of your lineup, if, if you need someone who can retrieve some pucks and be a pest on the power play and just bring a little bit of chaos, like, at some point, this club's issue, right? The the idea that they need another top six, like, do they need another top six forward? Or do they need to play the top six forward that they currently have driving their third line in the top six? See, I think they need another top six forward. And I, mean, I know, and I know... We, I don't disagree with you. Yeah, but because, again... Look, I can see what you're saying about the way the team is constructed now, but I think it would be so much better to have another top six forward and then you have Garland cooking in his spot on the third line. Yeah. Like, to me, that's just – I get the argument for, look, we need to give a boost and we're playing Phil Giuseppe here and he's not really a fit and, you know, Andre Kuzmenko has struggled and we're looking for ways to go away from him. I completely understand that, but the thing that's been carrying you, despite those other problems, is that third line. Yeah. And I'd be so hesitant – to break them up with the way that they're playing and how instrumental Connor Garland has been. Like, I would honestly look, I would look potentially at moving Dakota Joshua up before Garland. Because I think it's more likely that you can plug somebody else in Joshua's spot on that third line and still get really good performance than you can move Garland. Yeah, I I agree with that. I just don't think you can, like, I don't think you can ignore, I don't think you can ignore the fact that in order to outscore their opponents with their top six on the ice, the Canucks require their goaltending to be at an unholy level and require their finishing efficiency to be best in the league, best in class. Yeah. Like it's, it's only with the bounces that right now they're driving those favorable goal differentials with their top six. They're not doing it in, in like Philadelphian fashion with sort of raw control of, of the game state, the way that that third line is consistently done all season. You have a guy we know can help drive it. Like I know the chemistry hasn't been there, but man, I'm, I'm, increasingly convinced that oh i'm increasingly convinced that this team needs to um needs to at least consider the more cowbell approach we're reacting to an incredible individual effort by a swedish forward or swiss Swiss forward forward, i should say who danced through sweden and almost finished it right there with uh, for the underdogs my goodness with canucks prospect tom villander on the ice but we don't need to note that well you just did don't need to dwell on we don't need to dwell on it um, oh, all right, we'll uh, we'll stop ooing and aahing at the TV here as they go back and forth in three-on-three overtime. Let's hear from Canucks head coach Rick Tockett on a game day against the Ottawa Senators. Yeah, no, Susie, yeah. And Hoaglander, the odd man out? Uh, I haven't decided yet. It's a game time. 
And Still trying to figure a couple things out. Gretz in to see you here tonight? <clears throat> no, he's uh, PP1 tonight. <laughs> so we'll see how he does. Uh, you spent a lot of time there with PP1. That's a little bit out of the norm, and obviously it's been <clears throat> a bit of a funk for the last 20 games or so. What do you think you're able to accomplish walking guys through the things that you did there this morning? Well, i got to take responsibility myself. I mean, um, you know, sometimes I assume things, and I think – that's why I wanted to go today uh, and work on some stuff. But even like skill stuff, touches, you know, like, you know, slots from the shot, you know, good passing. I think we're, we're missing some of that. Now, maybe it's lack of practice. Um, but that's where, you know, you got to make sure each individual works on their, on their game, stays after practice and stuff like that. And I find some guys are misfiring, missing passes a little bit. And um, I blame myself because I got to get on those guys to start to, to work on that. Uh, we have some guys that, you know, Millsy, you know, I got to kick him off the ice. He's one of those guys that he wants to work on it constantly. So I think it's a mix that we got to find. And um, I really like the, the, this morning. I, I really feel that it's going to be a factor tonight, uh, what we did this morning. You've got uh, Pedersen in the middle on, on that power play look, or at least starting there. I know you have yeah. movement. Um, what are you looking to get in terms of moving him off that usual spot on the half wall? And is it just as simple as when you're not going well? <laughs> getting a guy some different looks. Yeah, I find when people want to be in their spot, they don't move their feet. And we got to get Petey to move his feet a little bit. You know, uh, you, you know, teams are scouting. Um, you know, it's not like he gets a lot of chances of shots from that. Um, now we have to come up with other other options. So if, you know, I, I do want him on that spot because I think he's a lead on there sometimes. Um, but if he's in front or if there, there is a, a, a retrieval and we get the puck and for, so it happens that he's in the middle or he's in front of the net, we, we have plays with some people in other positions, and that's probably 20% of the time. I think some when we, we get in trouble, is like, oh, i got to get to my spot. And then whenever he gets to their spot, it gets stagnant. You know, you, you know to me, the two, the two best power plays are Jersey and, and Edmonton, and you don't know where everybody is. Now, I get, you know, there's certain spots. You know, Bouchard's usually up top. I get that. Um, or, you know, Jack Hughes, you watch him. You know, he drives a lot of plays. I think we can be that that kind of, you know, that mentality. I thought early in the season we did. Um, and we got to get some net front guys. You know, whoever's going to be in front, if it's whether it's Brock or it's Kuzi, they got to be in front of the goalie's eyes when they're shots. And we're, we're off to the side too many times. So that's really, you, you improve those two areas and, and execution. You know, we had two backdoor plays last game, or maybe it was one empty net. Um, we had somebody had a shot in the slot, just him and the goalie, and we're missing those chances. So... You know, we score a couple goals all of a sudden. It's not that bad. So, to me, it's execution and more of movement. You talk about the net front. Yeah. And you've had JT there a fair bit. I'm sure you feel like yeah. he's given his size and, and willingness to stand in yeah. front of uh, big point shots. One of your best options there. But, obviously, if you put him there, you, you sort of take the puck out of his hands. Can a guy almost yeah. be versatile to a point where he might be your best solution in one area, but if you move him, you start taking on water? Yeah. I mean, he's not afraid to be in front. But we're, like you just said, like I, you know, I, I think some when he gets the puck in his hands on the, on the half wall, he makes things happen. But we should also have plays if Millsy's in front of the net. The other guy's got to know what their you know options is. Like my big thing is if Millsy's in front and a puck goes from one side to the other, whoever gets that puck's got to attack the net and shoot it with somebody in front or whether it's a backdoor play. We're 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 holding it and we're going back out for another a play. So I think that's the frustrating part as a coach is we got to attack. And it doesn't matter who's in the spots. You took an optional morning skate and really made it a power play session today, I, I think probably fair to say. Um, there was a sequence you're fronting JT, and he sort of went home run pass by you. Um, you 
want that one back? And, and what does it mean? <laughs> what does it mean to have that many laughs and sort of that environment with those coaches and those players, given how, how it's gone the last month? Well, it, to me, it's, uh, you know, the, there's debate as a coach and a player. We love it. And, you know, the argument was, well, if I do this and we are aggressive, he goes, well, you know, he basically said, I'll roast you on these plays. And I like that. So it's kind of a banter, but it's also, it, it's also, you know, it's, it's us coaches learning from them too and putting them in different spots. I, I like that stuff. I think we got to do more of that stuff. Now that, you know, we've had more practice time, um, we'll probably, you know, when we pick our spots, we're going to have to do this, maybe go on early maybe on an optional, maybe have the players come on early, just do walkthroughs. It's not really evasive stuff. And then you can kick them off the ice. <clears throat> Rick, you probably like Hoaglander's 10 goals and his aggressiveness, but he's also got 31 penalty minutes, a lot of reaching, holding, infractions. Is, does that bother you more than the other parts of his game? Yeah, I, I don't start Hoagie. There's about three or four guys uh, you know, in that position that guys are looking for ice time. You know, whether they're 10 to 12, 14-minute guys, that's who they are. And be the 10, 14-minute, like, be the best you can. I think I find that Hoggy's slipped a little bit, um, um, whether it's uh, coverages or whether it's penalties. Um, you know, he has, he's had a chance with Millsy line. And, you know, I think guys like that, you know, you, you know, I remember in Pittsburgh we had, um, you know, I don't like to use examples, but where you have guys in that position and you just, they, they'll give you some good pop. And then can they stay consistent? And then sometimes they slip. Then you got to throw somebody else in there. That's the team we have, and I like that. So whoever goes in those spots has to bring energy. And, you know, so whether he plays it, I'm not sure who I'm going to go with tonight, but, you know, there's about four guys that I can pick tonight. When we ask Ian Cole a a simple question, we get a 10-minute dissertation on everything that should happen behind the blue line. Um, What's the prospect? I mean, Susie could play at some point on the trip, I would imagine. You know, that's a pairing that's been together before. Uh, What do you like about that? And more importantly... Cole's function here. It's almost like you have another assistant coach in the room. Yeah. Is that your feeling with him? Yeah, Cole has been through the, the grind, right? A lot of the playoff games and stuff. So he's, you know, he's, a, he's, a, he's, you know, he's very smart when it comes to that sort of stuff. But for the defense, you know, we're, we're, we're you know, we're going to be full strength here. Um, I got to be honest, tonight's game, you know, it, it could decide who comes out of the lineup and who Seuss goes in. I mean, that's just the world we live in. You have full strength team. I hate to say it's a game to game, but some guys it is game to game. Sometimes you know there might be three, four guys that their performance that night might decide it. Sometimes it's fair and unfair, but it's that's just the way it happens. Now some guys get longer ropes than others. That's just the world we live in. But that w- that's really what's going to come on from now. Well, Jules is playing well. I mean, yeah. I mean, he, you know, you know whether he plays, you know, his minutes. He's usually a fifteen-minute guy. You know, if he's a mistake-free guy which he's been most of the last 10, 12 games, and a good PK guy. I mean, he's making a case to stay in the lineup. Rick, how much was your three days of practice either hitting the reset button or just <clears throat> drilling things back that you wanted to see? <clears throat> well, for me, there's a couple things you want to see. I think we could have, we had a couple of little good skates, you know, to, to get our mindset to push through if you're tired. That was one execution um, on breakouts uh, and our rush coverage uh, tracking. I think that slipped a little bit. You know, we were, I think we were one of the best odd, odd man rushes team there for a while. That slipped a little bit. So if there's a little parts of our game have slipped for whatever reason, you know, you know, we can all, but the bottom line is you, we can't use any of those excuses. We got to get back to it. I think refresher uh, that we did the last three, four games or four days has helped. We're going to eventually get to the halfway point. We're not yeah. quite there yet, but the way that your team has played for the most part, you're still in first yeah. place in the Pacific. 
And I know you've done a good job just focusing on the next day, the next yep. game. But I'm wondering if the success you've had, the way that you've played, has changed the way you look at the rest of the season, saying, you know, we belong here as opposed to let's keep chasing it. Well, we raised the bar, right? The pressures, uh, you know, if they, were, they thought guys had pressure at the beginning of the year, you know, to, you know guys were, you know, not saying scared, but, hey, we better have a start, which was good. Now we goes, hey, how are we going to keep the bar raised? That's the next level now. Like, how do you sustain it? Um, that's playing harder. That's competing harder. That's playing inside. That's practicing hard. Uh, when it's your day off, you know, whatever you're, you know, rest your body, your mind. It's, it's, it's another level that we've raised around here. And now the pressure comes with it. And uh, who wants to play games with no pressure? It sucks. So that's the way I look at it. before uh, his team takes on the Ottawa Senators tonight. First game of 2024 for the Canucks. And we should give you an update. Sweden, avoiding the upset. They advance, uh, beating Switzerland in the quarterfinal. Um, Axel Sandin-Palika With a scoring. power play goal. Really yes. nice, really nice goal. Like, perfectly read the goalie um, looking on the other side of the screener and, and shot it in the direction that they weren't looking at. So, like, a really nice goal. But, man, that was a... Very soft penalty call against Switzerland. I love that you're just directly. We have Kevin Woodley standing by, who was able to break down the goal for us in real time. No, I mean I knew what had happened. <laughs> That's an easy one. Just taking it right from Woodley to <laughs> to the broadcast. I'm no, no, no. Man. Woodley Woodley had better um, insight on like how that's a that's. Uh, Easier to look center lane when yes, it's five yes, on four. Yes, he was yes. saying, he was talking well, yeah, at a different level. Kevin, hold tight. We'll get we'll we'll vamp. Yeah, yeah. Fair. Uh, we'll uh, Woodley's going to join us here in just a few moments. We'll take a break, but uh, just quickly reacting. By the way, Lacare Mackey on the ice for the goal. Uh, I was I was hoping selfishly because he has been so dangerous and so as we've yeah. been talking about aggressive with the puck. I was hoping for that moment for him. He does uh, slide it over to Axel Sandin Palika, so he picks up the primary assist on the on the game winner for Sweden. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, though, the assist won't measure his value in this game, which no. was as the focal point, like the tip of the spear for Sweden. Um, you know, they survived today. I don't think this was the, their best performance, but that is an absolute contender in this tournament. And as we talk power play with Sweden winning on the power play here in overtime and a lot of the focus of the game day skate for the Canucks today and in the conversation uh, between the media and Rick Tockett today was on the power play. And one of the interesting wrinkles, uh, as we mentioned a little early in the, earlier in the show, JT Miller back to his spot. Uh, on the half wall, on the flanks, where he can do more Thank of the... goodness, by the way. He can be more of the maestro of the power play. But the more interesting one to me is Elias Pettersson sliding into the middle, into the bumper spot. And I, I believe it was you who asked Rick talking about it, and he said, you know, when guys become too married to their specific spot, it takes away that uh, that flexibility, that, that dynamic wrinkle to the power play, which was so key to the Canucks' success early in the season. And I thought it was interesting to bring that up specifically in relation to Pedersen because we know what a weapon his one-timer can be. We've seen it in the past, but there's also been long stretches, and not just this season, but for multiple seasons where that's really been a decoy and not a whole lot else, right? Because it's a hard play to set up, and a lot of things have to go right. And the thing is, as much as his one-timer is a weapon, look, we all know it's not as if Elias Pedersen is just a shooter. There's a lot of other things he can do well. And I completely understand the desire that, okay, hey, it's great. We don't want to take away that shot. We want other teams to be concerned about it. We want them to be shading over there because that opens things up elsewhere for us. 
But if there's other ways we can do, other things we can do to get Elias Pettersson on the puck more, making more decisions, being more dangerous in different ways, like he has the skill set to do that. I'm all for that, trying to get him involved in different ways in different areas of the ice. Yeah, and I mean, don't be surprised. Like they were working on sets where he'd fade back toward his normal spot and they'd have two guys down low in in Besser Kuzmenko. My big takeaway from Talkett's commentary was how clearly preoccupied with what he would get at the net front from Besser and Kuzmenko, he sounded. Mm. Don't you think? Like, it, it seemed like that weighed really heavily. We've been talking a lot about it, like, a lot about why Miller's there, right? Because really, you can almost trace when the Canucks power play started to struggle yep. with Miller being moved off the, off the half wall, uh, at least to start with. And yet, you know, Tockett's preoccupation there really did seem like Oh, you know, we, we're we're going to have to get enough. We're going to have to get enough from those dirty areas um, from the players that we're going to use there tonight. So I, I'm really curious to see it. And I, I think a, a really interesting tell about why Miller went there in the first place. I, I also think a, an interesting tell in terms of why, you know, my, my call for more Connor, Gar- Connor Garland may go un- unheeded, right? I mean, at the end of the day, uh, there are physical limitations yeah. as a screener that, that he brings to the table that, you know, a, a Brock Besser or a Kuzmenko does not. Yeah, uh, and then I think that's obviously a huge part of what Rick Tockett is looking for from that net front position. So power play going to be in the spotlight tonight against the Ottawa Senators. We'll take a break. Kevin Woodley standing by to join us here in the booth uh, on a game day for the Canucks. Coming up here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance, Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are live from the Kintec Studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Now joining us here live uh, in the broadcast booth at Rogers Arena. He is a presentation of White Rock Hyundai. Uh, he is Kevin Woodley from In Goal Magazine and NHL.com. Woodley, man, Happy New Year. What's going on? Uh, just back from Seattle in the Winter Classic and a couple days on there. And I got to say, like on the White Rock Hyundai front, Quick shout out for the EV. This is my first road trip in the EV. Ah. Like, you know, it's easy when you're just commuting. You can plug in every night. You yep. know what the kilometers are. Yep. But so I was a little nervous, right? Like I hadn't done a road trip, but no problem. Got to Seattle, had tons of range. Most hotels have a, even a slow speed charger charged overnight. Plenty enough to get back. Like it was, it was easy. So I'm, I'm more and more becoming an EV guy thanks to the. Uh, there you go. Thanks to the White Rock Hyundai uh, folks at the, my we'll, Ionic Six. We'll get to the Canucks and their and their opponents tonight. But what was the Winter Classic experience oh, like? It's so good. And this is the thing, like, uh, you know, I see the articles and hear the voices about, you know, like, hey, it's done, it's been done for too long, when are you going to stop doing it? Now, maybe it's just because they hit every note in Seattle, Yeah. and I heard from others that it was one of the best, and that's the one I happen to go to right. from a Winter Classic perspective, but when you're there, and I had a lot of buddies, the guys I play hockey with down there with their families or with their wives, and they just, well, and a lot of them double dip, right, Seahawks on se- yep. on Sunday, and then... Mm. And then the Winter Classic on Monday, and they all just said, like, you know, like, it's funny because multiple guys said, 
the same sort of part in the pun, but they hit it out of the park, yeah. right? So um, it was great. Uh, the atmosphere was great. Um, it was easy for I mean, Hey, Joey Decord gets a shout out, a guy I know and, and a guy who yep. it's really easy to cheer for. Finally getting a, a chance to – this is the most he's ever played in the NHL. And I think a lot of the times when it takes a while to get to that spot, like it's not a coincidence this is the best he's played. Mm. Um, yeah, Seattle's playing great. But this is the first time since his first season with Ottawa that he's got to, you know, play. He's played eight, eight and nine now. Yep. And I think 950, I remember what I wrote, 956 save percentage in those games. Seattle's defending really well in part because they're forechecking and being aggressive in the other end and not spending a lot of time in their own end. And and part of that, um, part of the story I wrote coming out of it is Joey DeCourt's puck handling. Like, he does a great job uh, because it was the outdoor ice and it was a little bouncy yesterday he, he didn't try to overdo it kept it simple um, but you just saw the difference like even on touches getting out and leaving it for his guys or little short passes they're getting out of their zone cleanly allowing them to maintain that four check game at the other end and the juxtaposition I felt bad um, for Logan Thompson but the juxtaposition in that game is LT goes out to handle a puck behind the net gets a tough bounce on the tough ice but he wasn't out there set early and 30 seconds later instead of an easy exit they're in their zone, and there's a mm-hmm. deflection goal he had no chance on. So it's like, yeah, he didn't have a chance on the goal, but you handle that cleaner, maybe you're not in your end at that time. And I think that's one of the aspects of Joey's game that that's kind of fueling this crack and run. And, and they look a lot like the team last year. And I, you know, we were talking about it earlier, Thomas. Like, I know the numbers were daunting, but they're back in this race. Yeah. And if they keep playing like this, they absolutely – I think we'll be a part of this playoff. Picture. I just want to note I never sold my Kraken stock. <laughs> Go ahead, Jamie. <laughs> well, I just wanted to, on the topic of uh, <laughs> puck handling from a goalie in general, because the Canuck, Canucks fans have enjoyed a lot of really good goaltending since Roberto Luongo came to town, right? Like, there's been a lot of really good goalies. Not a lot, necessarily, that you wanted to be out there handling the puck away from the crease. And it's the kind of thing, you know, how do you, like, because I can imagine being in this position, if you're a goalie and you're like, okay, I really want to improve my puck handling, that it would be easy to say, well, you know what, actually, my practice time is limited. I would rather just focus on stopping the puck than develop as a puck handler. How do you, like, how does it become a strength for a goalie? And are there are, are there players where you just write it off and say, we're not going to work on it because it's not going to be a part of your game? And how does that, uh, how, does it be, how do we get this dichotomy for we between guys like Joey Decord, and we all know the names in the past, the Roders and the Turcos, who are elite at it, and guys who are elite at everything else, but you don't want out there. You can just the say Roberto Longo. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and I think so he's not the only one. I'll, I don't want to ba- single him out. I'll go back. To like this isn't like me. This isn't like, like I'm not like trying to name drop or anything. But like I'll go back to what Marty Berder told us at Ingle Magazine years ago about this. Yeah. Um, he got so good at it. Actually, it was it was his dad, uh, former photographer with the Montreal Canadiens, uh, Denny, who came home one night from a game after watching Ron Hextall and just said, like, you have to see this guy. He's hmm. like a third defenseman out there. And the way Marty got so good at it, you have to handle it. Like, the only way to do it is to do it. To do it, it. yeah. And, but that doesn't mean just, you know, part of that Marty Turco once told us, like, I remember Mike Smith, his first game, I guess he turned it over and then he never handled the puck the rest right. of the game. And he came to the bench and Turk was like, what the hell are you doing out there? Don't stop. Like, you can't be intimidated. You have to keep going. And Mike Smith was a little more risk-reward, I think, and, and the risk sometimes ticked people off. Um, but Berder was like, it can't just be in games. You have to, you know, when the play's at the other end in practice and, you you know, there's a, you know they move it back and forth, from one, you're not doing anything for five minutes. Grab a defenseman and tell him to skate blue line to blue line and just start chucking pucks and making sure you can handle it. Um, it doesn't always have to be the Mike Smith home run pass. Like, guys that just get out, like I said, to court yesterday. 
couple nice plays, but for the most part, it was just making sure you got out, stop the rims, and leave the sets in the right spots, right? And so uh, I think you can work at it. You can become better at it to, to a certain extent because at the end of the day, it's also about reads. And you have to have the physical tools to pass the puck, but you also have to be able to read a forecheck. And that's where guys like Mike Smith maybe didn't get enough credit. The, the art of being able to sort of spin one way and, and, and basically change a forecheck based on what they expect you to do and then just hold it and right. open up. And so there's a lot of sort of, there's art to it. And then there's science to it where you just get out and handle the puck, you know, that work ethic type thing. And you know, a guy like Joey Decord, watch his warm-up, right? Like puts two pucks behind the net and pregame warm-ups, does a little circle drill and then fires a couple out. Like he's a guy that works at it and he's gotten better at it. His NCAA sizzle reel, remember that? When it was like <laughs> just like five minutes of Joey Decord making outlet passes. Like he he's he's the one I think of first when I think of, Man, that guy's a sick puck handler. I want to talk Demko on in in this um, realm though, because he seems pretty conservative to me in terms of when he uses it. But I think technically he's an incredibly adept puck handler as a goaltender. We just don't see it very often. Yeah, and you know what? Actually, you know what? Like, you've kind of sparked an idea here. Like, I think we need to ask this. Yeah, we because, do. We need yeah. to ask him because, um, well, probably not him. Uh, <laughs> Probably the, <laughs> no, because I do think he's excellent at it. I and do it was too. one of the things that we used to sort of we were starting to identify when we talked about the games. Like again, cons- you, you can't overdo it, but mm-hmm. the ability to sort of get it out and get it in spots. I, I almost feel now like Casey doesn't get out much, and and I haven't asked him about whether that's you know actually I did ask him last year um, in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Like he's not a big puck handle guy. Like that's not what he considers the strength, right? Um, but. I, I almost feel like maybe they're asking them not to. You know what I mean? Like like maybe outside of – because there's times even on rims, I'm like, yeah, I feel like he could have set that up, right? Maybe they just want them to err on the side of caution. And there yeah. are a lot of teams that go that way, right? Like, hey, we got the defenseman. Our guys will be back. They have the outlets all set up. You stay out of the picture. But it's I think given how adept Thatcher can be at it, and we've seen him be, it's probably a question worth asking. Is this systems? Goalie puck handling is an interesting one to me because it's like – so Roman Yossi is a, a good example of this. Roman Yossi is one of the best defensemen in the world. We all know this. And yet the way that he holds the puck and carries the puck and shoots at, at high volume, I've always thought actually is almost like the hockey version of hero ball in the NBA. Like it's not the most efficient use of touches. One thing about Quinn Hughes, for example, that I think separates him from Yossi at this stage of Yossi's career anyway is – Hughes handles the puck, but it's in service of finding usually a, a high qual a teammate in a high quality area of the ice. So even though he's a puck dominant defenseman, you don't get those same inefficiencies. The goaltender puck handling one is one of those counterintuitive ones to me too. It's like it's great to be Brodeur and be able to make an outlet pass, but you know who's better at making an outlet pass? Literally every single defenseman in hockey. <laughs> yeah, and, and I've seen these arguments, and I'm not going to pretend to have stats on them because I've seen you know some of the people like Corey Schneider who really track this stuff mm-hmm. you know, pre- presented some pretty good arguments about like, hey, just leave it, right? Like, yeah. And yet you talk to defensemen around the league, and they're like, even if the goalie doesn't make a pass, just stop it and set it up so I don't have to peel it off the wall or in an awkward spot with a four-checker coming down on me. And so you'll talk to guys around the league, and they're like, or the ability to just quickly move it to the corner. Like, it doesn't have – that's what I was talking about. It doesn't, doesn't need to be Marty Berdur's stretch pass. It doesn't yeah. need to be Mike Smith trying to hit a guy at the far blue line. It's the simple little plays. You know who was one of the best puck handlers in the game and underrated for it? 
Carey Price. Yeah, Carey Price. And he was great. didn't hit home runs. It was subtle little. He read the game at such a level, and he, that put his defensemen in positions to disrupt four checks and get out cleanly and without getting peeled off the glass. And so, I think there's more nuance to it. I defer to the other people that have the stats. I will say, uh, on the Mike Smith argument. Now, this was when he was in Calgary before he went to Edmonton. Uh, I was part of a goaltending symposium in Nashville, uh, which hey, great, t- great place to have a great place <laughs> to have a symposium, folks. Um, and uh, um, it was uh, sorry, Jordan Sigalet, the director of goaltending now for mm-hmm. the Flames, did a presentation to to the and they used to hear that a lot about like oh you know like you'd be better off not having Mike Smith handle the puck. And yes, sometimes he overdoes it, but he presented the numbers and what how their defensemen used to get hit, how often. How efficient Mike was on every single touch. A leave, an over, an up, or an actual pass. And when he kept it simple, the numbers were staggering. Like off the charts, how much easier it made life on their defensemen and how much more often they got out of their zone with control. And so I think, you know, it's it's sometimes, it's like the defenseman that always has the puck and then we see the turnovers right. because they've right. always got the puck. I think, and, and and there are times when they try and do too much with it. Mike was one of those guys. But I think for the most part, both his teams and some of the numbers I saw from, from the goalie coaches involved in that, they wanted him out there handling the puck. They were better for it as a team. And I think the cord's the same way in Seattle. When you give us Jeff Merrick or Kevin Woodley on the program, it's like 10 minutes on goalie puck handling. Yeah. Like, oh, my God. Happily. Sorry. Happily. No, no, no. No, no we, we went there. We love it. You, you piqued our interest, <laughs> man. Uh, but... On the Canucks, so it's going to be Demko tonight. Obviously, it was DeSmith against Philadelphia. How surprised were you to see DeSmith get that game, given the paucity of games and the schedule there for uh, for the Canucks for a little bit? A little bit, except if you look around the league, a lot of teams seem to do mm. that coming out of the break, right? Like, and, and I don't know how much of that is, hey, our number one plays a ton, and he's been off for three days, and let's ease him back into the schedule rather than risk an injury. Yeah. You know, I just... Again, because of having, heading down to the Winter Classic, I didn't have a chance to sort of drop a bunch of text messages around the league and say, hey, is this a trend for a reason? But they weren't the only team that did it, right? And so that maybe made me think less about it. I do think we've seen times in this season where it feels like, and this is not any inside information or someone telling me this, but it just kind of feels like when Rick wants their attention defensively, mm. he'll mix in a Casey start in a spot where we don't, necessarily expected or as part in a different rotation they have de- defended exceptionally well and this is why you know i know a lot of people will be like hey like casey smith has, has a better save percentage they need to start him ahead of demko like i actually get those messages and it's like hey casey DeSmith smith has one of the highest expected save percentages in the entire nhl because this team is defending really well in front of them and that's not to take anything away from how well he's played yeah. behind that but they do a really nice job for him and i think it's actually a credit to how much sort of cachet he's built in that lot. Cachet is the wrong word, but, like, these guys will go to the wall for Respect. him. They're going to work for him because yeah. he works for them. And that's, like, the job of backup is not an easy one. And they're, you know, it's funny. I was talking a little bit with Carter Hutton earlier today, texting back and forth because heard him on the radio and I thought he did a great job. And we just ended up going back and forth. Like, there's a guy that knew that gig. Like, you got to stay out late and do the work. And if you do it and the guys like you, they they will they will make that extra effort. And, it's kind of reflected in the numbers for Casey. There's a reason the like long-standing backup goalies around the league are always the best dudes. Yes, you know, like oh yeah, being a good guy is like 
70% of the job. I'm convinced of this. <laughs> but don't have too much personality because a lot of teams want their backup goalies to be heard. in the background. Yeah. Seen, not heard. You don't, want, you don't want to be too popular in the fan base. Start a goalie <laughs> controversy. Let's talk Demko. He's the Vezina frontrunner per the gambling markets, although Connor Hellebuck has closed the gap. You know, I, I think I think he's had his first month was exceptional, nuclear, atomic. Yeah. The, the since he's been good, right? He's been good. Are there still questions for Demko to answer over the balance of the season? Given that we've never seen him sustain that above-average form over sixty-plus games as a workhorse starter and be healthy at the end of the year. Oh, that's a good one. Um, until you've done it, you haven't done it, right? Uh, and he's still yet to get through an entire season at an elite level. Um, we and, know yeah. what he's capable of. Yep. Um, and I guess the next question would be, can you consistently bring that? And I don't think it's fair to say, can you consistently be the guy that you were for the first whatever month, month. plus no. this season? Of course. Because I kept saying it at the time. Like, these would be... Like, not just great seasons, if he kept it up for the entire year. Historic. It'd be, yeah, like, no one's ever done it before. He was playing at such an incredible level. And as he's leveled off, you know, he's still top seven in adjusted save percentage. But he's no longer at, at the heights where it's like, he has slam dunked the Vesna Trophy winner, no questions asked, right? So, um, this is part of the job. And the hardest part is finding consistency. And consistent excellence is really hard in today's game. Right. In this position. Um, and finding a way to manage your body and manage your game and all these things and expectations which have gone through the roof for yeah. the team and for the individual. Yep. Like, this is a process, and it's a process that he's going through for the first time, right? Like, for the first time. And, and he's gotten – there's been nights where, um, you know, the, the letdowns as a team have happened mm. quite often when he's in net. The Philly game is the exception, right? Um, like the Philly game in Philly where, like, I think he was like almost six goals. They lost two nothing, yeah. and they should have scored like seven and a half or eight. Like it was nuts <laughs> it, how good he was. I still think that, that was his best game of the year. It was, yeah. yeah. And they lost two nothing. So, um, yeah, I don't know that there's necessarily anything left to prove. Uh, you know, he's in the conversation, but sort of bringing it home, right? And you know, again, not like year's not over, right? You got to get through the season playing at this level consistently over the course of an entire season. That's what number ones do. That's what makes Connor Hellebuck and, you know, uh, Andre Vasilevsky yeah. in yep. that discussion, right? Because they do it year after year after year. And it's not, it's not Thatcher's fault that he hasn't had this opportunity behind a good team before. But now that you have it, let's see what you can do with it. And I fully believe that, you know, like this isn't me questioning him. This is just me acknowledging that, until you've done it, you haven't done it. And so there is an element of, you know, let's see if he can keep this up. I fully expect him to for a lot of different reasons. Well, and I, was, I was wondering about give, fair. giving the to Smith the start against Philadelphia. You know, that gets Demko more than a week off, right? They're going to have their bye week at the end of January. So, you know, pending his all-star participation, that's a really big chunk of time off. And I just wonder how much of it is let's – focus so much on making sure he is healthy and in really good shape at the end of the season. You know, even you look ahead to their March schedule when they, they have that nine game homestand, but it's nine games over like a long stretch. There's some like three game, three days off, two days off in there. So, you know, depending on how you want to use them there, you could get another like week off at some point for Thatcher Demko, or at least a week out of games, not entirely off, obviously at some point, I wonder if it's just a recognition of, Hey, we've got the, cushion in the standings the schedule sets up in a certain way we can not just find this guy a couple days of rest we can find him some big chunks of rest here in the season if we want to at this point 
everything should be like obviously trying to maintain the team's form especially defensively yeah. is a priority down the stretch cuz as as they've said and it's not cliche well it's cliche for a reason like it does get tougher right like it's not a coincidence Seattle's on a heater right mm. like they're back to playing that really tough to play against style um and so maintaining that not getting not resting on your laurels and i think because of the misery around here for so long it'll be easier to maintain that focus defensively as a group uh, and then the only other thing is it like this is about getting him, giving Thatcher Demko the best chance to be at his best when it matters the most. Like you know what I mean? Like yep. physically and mentally. And that's the other thing; it's a mental grind. Like that's pr- the pressures of the position. So yeah, I'm with you. Like whether the reason was getting their attention defensively or part of a trend around the league of hey, we don't want to throw our number one into the fire after all these days off. Let's let him build back up in his game or. You know, hey, like there's a maybe that Ian Clark saw a couple things they wanted to fine tune, and having this stretch without having to worry about playing a game in the middle of it was a big part of it. For whatever reason, I had no like a, no doubts about sure. it. Everything right now is about making sure you keep him at a certain level and give him a chance to succeed come the playoffs. Do you think the question, the durability thing, is something he's conscious of? Hmm, that's a. I haven't asked. I'm not sure. Probably. He's a very smart, he's very so right. aware guy, right? <laughs> like, he's very conscious of what yep. goes on. I don't think he cares about what the conversations are around the league necessarily. He doesn't dwell on it. He's, no. He, he knows how to focus on, on what he does. Um, but I think he wants to be the guy. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, you want to be the guy. Like, that's what you want to be if you're in that position. Right? Yeah, and like I, I said, it's not his fault he hasn't had the opportunity till no. now. Or when he did, the teams just were, like, so bad. Or or the, the you, you know, the Bruce Boot, the Bruce, there it is, bump, where he's sensational, but he gets hurt at the end, right? I mean, right. because you know, they played the wheels off him, right? And that's right. what you got to be conscious of not doing here, right? Like, it was no coincidence. The two guys that played the most that year were Saros and Hellebuck, and, or Sor- sorry, Saros and Demko, and neither guy made it into the playoffs. So, yep. um, for all those reasons, like, you know what I look at? It's the Olympic lists, mm. right? Like, I look at the, and, and man, do the Americans have a lot to choose it's from. Not bad. Jeez. Not right? bad. But like I look at those lists and I'm like I don't know if he looks at that. I you know, I honestly don't know. But I got to think there's there's probably a little part like and I look at it and I'm like he's got to be on those lists. No, and he would and he would have been even before this year for yeah. me based on the talent level and what he's capable of doing, right? Like but like there's some of them where I see him penciled into 3 behind Jake Ottinger and I'm like I like Jake Ottinger but I'm like I'm playing Thatcher Demko. I, I, I think Jake honest, Ottinger would. I don't think Jake Ottinger would put him three on his own list. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and he, hey, listen, like Connor Hellebuck, who has a Vezina, has done a ton of great things. Yeah. Um, environment matters too. There, right? Like you got to be a team that you know does certain things for him to be at his absolute best. Like there's, I, I there's a little part of me, as much as I'm a big Hellebuck fan, that I look at those lists and I'm like, I'm probably playing Demko ahead of Hellebuck. But there's other people that you know. So. Um, those things might matter, and, and that's all part of doing it over and over again for an extended period to get to the point that Connor Hellebuck is at now where everybody just assumes you're going to be the guy the next time America needs a best-on-best best goalie. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of environment in front of goalies, Ottawa and their goalie situation. We were chatting oh. with Ian Mendez earlier, and, you know, Dranch, you brought up the point of just this rotating cast of goalies who have struggled in Ottawa, and then a lot of them have left and played well in other places. You, know, you look at Cam Talbot in L.A., Gustafson last year, right, for Minnesota. Like, this is, look, we only have a few minutes left, so we're not going to be able to crack the code here, but, like, 
what's going on? What is the deal with Ottawa and their goalies? Well, I mean, it's easy. Like, it's really easy. Just look at Talbot and Corpus Allo swapping spots. You tell me what's changed. Defensive environment. Yeah. Right? And this is, uh, listen, it wasn't always this way. Their defensive environment was mid-pack last year. You know, like sort of in the, in the high teens, low 20s. Not great. Kind of reminded me of the Canucks. But, you know, two years ago. You know, and, and Demko can bail you out mm-hmm. when you're in the 20s or the teens. When you drop into the bottom three or five, I swear it. Like, I swear. This is, there's no science here, but I've. I feel like once you're into the bottom five, that drop from mid to bottom is exponential. Yeah. It's no longer eight spots. Like, from a goaltending perspective, from a quality perspective, both Forsberg and Corpus Allo, their save percentage, they're expected is just slightly below league average. Um, but where the Senators rank defensively is 30th, right? And it's just really hard to ask your goalies to bail that out night in and night out. And Forsberg, like, coming off the injury he had, there was always going to be a process to getting back. But I look at Corpus Allo, like, look what he did in L.A., look what Talbot's doing in L.A., and look at the reverse, what each guy did in Ottawa. This is, and Jacques Martin talked about this today, they remind me of the Canucks. Yeah. Tons of young talent yeah. that doesn't necessarily know what it takes or how you have to play in your own end as a five-man unit not being taking the risks offensively that lead to the odd man rushes the other way. Like, there's a lot of sort of similarities, maybe not right down to the exact personnel, but there's similarities there. And I'm not pretending that Forsberg uh, or Corpus Allo are the next Thatcher Demko. But when it's that bad defensively, there's only so much the goalies can do. And until you get buy-in from everyone else, like the Canucks have gotten here under Tockett, I don't think you see the goalie numbers pick up. They're, they're both below expected. But, like, not in an Ilya Samsonov level. They're not bottom of the league. They're just slightly below expected, both of them. It's not great. It could be better. They're both capable of better. But until the environment improves consistently, consistently, it's a big ask. And, everyone, it's you know, that this reminds me of the earlier this year. Could, yeah, okay, the Oilers suck defensively and they keep turning over the puck and giving up odd man rushes. But could you imagine them with Demko? And my answer was always, yeah. I watched it last, last year, and how did Demko <laughs> do at the beginning of the year? Right. Like, there's a certain level you hit where goaltending can't bail you out, even if you have a Demko. We saw that firsthand. Yep. So asking Forsberg and Corpus Allo to do it in Ottawa, it's probably not realistic. I, and, and again, I'm not. they can be better. They're not blameless in this. But, you know, we've seen too many, too many examples where it gets to that level defensively. Goalies can't fix it. At some point, if you're blaming Colin Delia... <laughs> You're pointing the finger in the wrong direction. <laughs> uh, he is Kevin Woodley, uh, brought to you by White Rock Hyundai. Visit the showroom on King George in White Rock or whiterockhyundai.com. Woodley, man, thank you, as always, for doing this. Enjoy the game. Yeah, the man. Uh, we'll do it again soon. Appreciate it, guys. All right, Happy that is New Kevin Year, Woodley. And uh, that's it for us as well. We're wrapping up the show. Canucks game day against the Ottawa Senators. We're back tomorrow. Keep it right here on Sportsnet 650.